Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 260 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And welcome to part two in a two-part series where I'm focusing on my coaching process, basically walking through step-by-step how I evaluate my students and the process that I go through and that you can go through to evaluate your own game and then walk through the improvement process step-by-step to really solidify and make permanent improvements to your tennis game. So the previous episode, number 259, was titled Five Steps to Tennis Stroke Mastery. And if you haven't already listened to that episode, I really strongly recommend that you listen to that first before you dig into this one. We're going to do a really, really quick kind of breeze through overview of what that podcast talked about, just to remind those of you who have heard it, uh, what the, the steps were, what those five steps were. And then we're going to dig really deep into one single step that was part of those five. And and that kind of that digging into process is going to be uh, partially um, looking at the different steps I follow. And then also, I'm going to give you a list of 24 progressions. And these are just ones that I just thought up off the top of my head and jotted down, and they're in order. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, today, I want to I dedicate this episode to, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce this, but I think it's Hegway, H-E-G-W-A-I. Uh, Hegway left the most recent review on iTunes for the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much uh, for the kind words. If you've, if you've appreciated this show, it'd really uh, mean a lot to me if you'd leave a, a review on the iTunes Music Store, which is the, the top place where people find podcasts. And uh, we're the, we've been the number one tennis podcast uh, pretty much from day one. So thank you all so much uh, for your support. Okay. So let's go ahead and dig right into it. In episode 259, we talked about the five step steps to tennis stroke mastery. Step one was make a list of all the flaws you see that need fixing, which is probably a lot of things. If, if you're very aware, if you've seen yourself play on video, and if you're honest with yourself, if any of us are, my, myself included, I, I would make a big list uh, for my own game. Step number two, choose the one element that's most foundational for each stroke that you want to work on. Again, 259, we go into a lot of detail on on all this. For right now, I'm just going to give context and a a quick reminder for those of you uh, so you can kind of remember where today's topic is really going to fit into the big picture. So step two, choose the one element that's most foundational for each stroke that you want to work on. Step three was create a sequence of at least four progressions to work on that one element. And this was uh, starting with the most basic, aware and controlled expression of that one thing, and then progress little by little towards full expression of whatever that new habit is. Step four, work the progressions with the utmost awareness and discipline. I go into a bunch of detail on that in episode 259. And step five, rinse and repeat for the next most fundamental element. So those are the five steps. And today in episode 260, I'm going to give you the 24 tennis improvement progressions that I've outlined. And before we get to that, I'm going to give a little more context to progressions specifically. And 
make sure that you understand why they're so critical, why they're a huge fundamental part of my coaching process and why I believe very possibly the most important part of actually improving a technical skill like a forehand or a backhand or a volley or any anything really, but any part of tennis for sure, we need this process in place for anything to really stick and become a new habit. And the reason why this is so important is if we don't challenge ourselves the right amount while we're trying to develop new habits, then those new habits will not stick. If our practice is too easy, then we will not progress. And if our practice is too difficult, then we won't progress either. And this is a trap that virtually all tennis players fall into and a lot of tennis coaches fall into as well. They will either make their quote-unquote practice time just about repeating the things that they're already great at and they never really challenge themselves very much or they try to improve something specific and they actually challenge themselves way too much. And in both cases, there's no actual improvement. And the way I like to visualize this is, and I did a little bit of Google searching on this to try to figure out where the, the origin of this concept was. I found a, a couple of different diagrams that were in line with what I've, I had in mind. I've heard this explained before, but I couldn't find like for sure an original place where this concept came from. So if you, if you know where this came from, this is not my uh, idea. This is not my concept, but it's something I, I learned many years ago and has made a lot of sense to me and has really been a guiding principle in developing my coaching uh, process, my approach or philosophy to coaching. So what this is, I want you to imagine in your head a, a target, like a, an archery target with a bullseye in the middle and then two other larger circles around the outside of that bullseye. So it's three total circles, a circle right in the center and then two larger ones around the outside of that center one. The way I, I the title that I heard uh, that was given to this concept before was the concentric circles of learning. So imagine that target in your mind's eye. The very middle of that circle is where most tennis players spend most of their time, and that is their comfort zone. This is what I described just a second ago with practice that's too easy. This player or this coach uh, keeps his or her players hitting the shots that they're already good at in the way that they're already comfortable with, and so they're kind of maximizing the strengths that they already have. And, and that's definitely an important part of uh, maintaining a, a good quality tennis game as a whole. But if that's all you ever do and you don't spend time developing new skills, then obviously you can see how that would be a problem in the big picture, the long term. 30,000 foot view of the development of your tennis game, there, won't, there will be a certain point in time where you just hit a plateau because you've, you have not been challenged outside of what you're already good at, what you're already comfortable with. So it's the very middle circle in this target, the comfort zone. The next circle, just outside the comfort zone, the middle circle, is the learning zone. This is where we're pushed outside of our comfort zone, but not a tremendous amount. It's just enough that we're challenged, but we don't lose the ability to actually keep track of what we're doing. We're still able to remain pretty aware of what we're doing, uh, pretty controlled of what we're doing. And while it's not what we're used to, 
we're still able to manage the movements and we're able to stay aware of what we're doing. That's the learning zone. And then the third and outermost circle is called the panic zone. So this would be more challenge than what you can handle and still maintain control of yourself or your body or your reactions. The panic zone is when we try something new for the first time within the context of a point. And it's, you like watch a video and it's like how to hit your forehand with 50 more miles per hour, you know, maximum power forehand lesson or whatever. And you, and you uh, watch the video, you understand the concepts, and you say, all right, sweet, I get it. I understand, I have the knowledge. You go out and you play your next match, and you try to execute that, that new movement, that new technique, and you end up just going right back to what you're used to. That's because you're way outside your, your comfort zone, beyond the learning zone, in the panic zone, where you're not able to actually stay aware of what you're doing. You're just going right back to a knee-jerk reaction, to just uh, do whatever it is that you can do to stay alive and stay afloat. You're not actually helping yourself at all. So for maximum development, you want to keep yourself in the learning zone. That's where progressions come into play. Progressions are critical to the developmental process because they allow us to start from the simplest expression of what the full skill is. Let's say hitting a forehand with more power and then slowly progress to a full expression, AKA the full execution of whatever that new skill is. And if we use progressions effectively, then we're able to kind of keep tabs on our progress and how we're, how we're, developing, how we're developing. And if we do a good job of, of maintaining kind of uh, full reality of how well we're doing, then we can really, really progress very quickly. And what I mean by uh, keeping tabs on the reality of how we're doing, I'm talking about video or having uh, a third party watch you who you trust and you know that their eyes are finally attuned to uh, technique. But quite frankly, even then, even with having somebody watch you who has decades of experience watching tennis players and coaching tennis players, he or she will still miss things uh, without the use of, of video. So really video is the best way to tell how well you're actually executing a new skill that you're trying to learn. So progressions allow us to basically make micro learning zone advancements and adjustments, meaning as you become familiar with uh, one progression, you can start to become pretty good at executing it at a really, in a really simple way, whatever that new thing is. And we're gonna get to really specific uh, examples of this in just a second, but just conceptually for right now, understand that the reason why progressions are so important is they allow you to stay in the learning zone from step to step to step to step as you make stepping stone improvements towards full expression or complete mastery of whatever a stroke is. And so in uh, episode number 259, we talked about the four uh, steps in mastering anything, going from unconsciously incompetent to unconsciously competent. And the steps in between of being consciously incompetent and consciously competent. Uh, sorry, that's a a mouthful, and if you didn't hear the previous episode, probably doesn't make any sense to you. But but the whole point is that we want to maintain conscious competence or get to the point where we're consciously competent with one progression and then move to the next one and then 
keep working that progression until until you can execute it correctly while focusing on it and then move to the next one and continue to kind of build that bridge from where your current execution is to the new and improved and better execution, one little step at a time. And really at the very base of this, this is the last thing I'm gonna talk about before we jump into the actual progression ideas that you can use. The base of this, the reason why this is so important is because you can only focus on one non-habit technical element at a time. I'm gonna repeat that for emphasis. You can only focus on one non-habit technical thing at a time. One, not four, not five. Don't tell me you can micromanage. All you can really do is jump really quickly from one thing to the next to the next. And so within the context of a forehand swing, which takes less than a second, if you're trying to, imp- if you're trying to change your grip and improve the racket dropping into the slot position and accelerating upwards more vertically and finish with a more full follow-through, all within the same swing. Forget about it. And this, this is what a lot of tennis coaches do, which leads their, uh, their students to frustration, is they'll, they'll, they'll kind of give them all of these different steps, and they're all good, and, and they're all worthwhile, and they're, they're accurate, and it's, the, it's you know, uh, new movements and new positions that will help the player improve. But when more than one is worked on at a time, then it leads to what I like to call instructional whack-a-mole where the coach says, oh, hey, remember, you know, bend your knees on this one. And then he or she feeds the ball and player bends the knees really nicely and swings. And the coach says, oh, oh, but you didn't follow through on that one. And then a coach feeds another ball and the, the player does a great job with the follow through. And then the coach says, oh, but don't, don't forget, uh, drop the rack. You need to go low to high and then feeds the ball and player executes that. Uh, and then coaches, oh, but you didn't bend your knees. And there's this, there's this crazy kind of circular uh, feedback loop of tips. And the player's just bouncing from focusing on number one to number two to number three to number one to number two to number three. And none of the three become habit because there isn't enough back-to-back focused repetition on any one of them to actually develop any of them into a new habit. And so it feels productive and a lot of balls are being hit, and there's very good information being given, but new habits are not actually developed. And this very same thing happens to players who are self-guiding themselves to better tennis as well. They go out there with the ball machine, and the same thing happens, and they've got a checklist of four or five things they're working on on one stroke, and none of them actually get any closer to being a habit by the end of their hour hitting session. So this is why progressions are critical for all the reasons that I just laid out. It's, it's critical to keep yourself firmly in the learning zone on one focused item at a time and slowly progress in difficulty from progression to progression to progression so that your ability to consciously and competently execute each of those progressions moves you closer and closer and closer towards full expression of that new technique. Does that make sense? I hope. (laughs) 
this feels really inside baseball uh, for me, but I hope that this, this is just conceptually and kind of philosophically helpful to many of you out there, coaches and players. And now, without further ado, I'm going to get into a, a list. It feels like a long list of progressions to me. I've used all of these within just the last student or two that we've worked with. Uh, twice a month, we work with a private student here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is where our headquarters are for Essential Tennis. And these progressions, I've used all, all of them. I, with any given student, we, these uh, coaching packages we do are two days, five or six hours on the court each day. And for each stroke that we focus on, I'll use 10 or 12 of these progressions depending on how the player is progressing, whether how quickly he or she is picking up on the movement, uh, how quickly he or she is able to execute it correctly. Uh, and so sometimes the progressions go very quickly. Sometimes they get stalled and we have to try different ones and substitute one uh, type of progression for another to, to try to make a breakthrough and get them to feel and execute correctly before we go to the next one. And so uh, here's a list of progressions that you can use for your own game or within uh, the context of your, your own coaching. And I've listed these from easiest to most difficult. I'm going to try to move these, through, the, through these relatively quickly. If I get stuck on some and it goes a little long, I'm sorry. But uh, here we go. So number one, positional shadow swings with a pause. So this is the easiest, most simple, most highly aware method of having a player feel and experience and execute a new movement. What this means is a shadow swing moving very slowly and pausing at certain pit stops to demonstrate a certain position. I do this all, this is usually my first go-to progression when uh, right after I show a student, okay, here's a video of your forehand, here's a video of Roger Federer's forehand, here's the difference between the two, so here's the number one thing that we're going to focus on right now, this is what it should look like. Okay, so let's go to the courts, and the first thing I have that student do is, usually I'll break a stroke into three positions, position one, position two, position three. And then I have him or her move through that same swing slowly and pause at all three of those positions. And I'll say, okay, here's what position one should look like. Here's what position two should look like. Here's what position three should look like. And I have him or her move through those different positions so that they can feel what those different spots feel like in the swing and real slow and calm and, and smooth in between each position. Just a second, I'm going to grab a quick drink. So that is by far the easiest, most controlled, most aware way to move a student through a new movement. Next one, 10% shadow swings with no pause. So now the student is moving smoothly all the way through the movement without any pauses, without any positional pit stops, but 10% uh, acceleration. So still very slow. And for a lot of players, painfully slow. But the whole point is to get them to smoothly hit those positions without pausing. So they can feel what the entire movement feels like. Next, 50% shadow swings with no pause. So now this is kind of like a, a calm, relaxed, 
uh, speed of swing, but still kind of a realistic one that, that could be used in, uh, in, a, in an actual point. Not aggressive, but still slow enough that it can be pretty controlled and aware. And lastly, full speed shadow swings. This is the last just pure shadow swing. And of course, we get into all kind of uh, different percentages of effort and acceleration in between. You get the idea. Progressing from pausing and very slow to uh, continuous and slow to a little bit faster to full speed. And uh, next progression, combination of shadow swings and drop and hit. Uh, this is usually my next progression after doing shadow swings, as I'll say, okay, students, I'd like you to execute two slow shadow swings showing me the correct positions that we just talked about. And after that second shadow swing, I'm going to drop a ball right in front of you. And then you're going to execute that same technique, but with a ball. And usually what happens is that player will execute the shadow swings beautifully. And as soon as the ball drops, they'll revert back towards their old habit. Usually not completely their old habit, but somewhere in between the really nice looking shadow swings and what their old habit was. They'll kind of split the difference in between uh, more often than not. And so we'll spend some more time on that and I'll show them the video. See, here's what your shadow swing looks like. Here's what your hit looks like. Now we, the whole goal now is to make the actual hit the same as the shadow swing. That's the whole point is so that they can feel what that new movement is like while doing it correctly. Next, drop and hit from inside the service line, focusing on just that one micro element, just that one change in their technique. And so now they're actually hitting the ball and maybe we'll shift to one shadow swing and one hit. Uh, but once, once the shadow swings are no longer needed, then we'll just drop a couple balls in a row. This is really slow uh, repetitions. They're close to uh, the net, so they don't have a lot of space where they feel like they really need to swing hard. It's very controlled, very slow. Next, drop and hit from the service line with ballpark 25% speed. So now they're on the service line. We're dropping balls, maybe occasionally doing shadow swings. Very slow and controlled. Really doesn't matter where the ball goes right now. The, the narrow focus is just on executing the new movement correctly. And then uh, once, they're do, once they do a good, consistent job from there, we'll go back to no man's land, and they can swing at about 50%. So relatively confident, but still controlled. They're still able to feel what's going on. They're not trying to juice up the swing and swing super fast. And now there's a little bit more space. And uh, so that changes things. It changes the perspective for the student and uh, gives them a little more freedom to swing. And all, all this while, occasionally we're throwing in some shadow swings, showing them with video. Uh, here's what you're looking like. Uh, oh, you missed you know, this position a little bit. Let's really focus on that. Do a couple shadow swings. I'll drop to you again. And we're just working kind of back and forth, little micro adjustments, a little bit less challenging, a little bit more challenging to kind of feel, feel out where they're executing correctly and, and where they're not executing correctly. And then finally, we'll go back to the baseline and uh, occasionally do drop and hit from back there. And now a student can swing a little bit more confidently, anywhere between 50% to 75% speed. And now we'll move to combination of shadow swing and feed combinations. Now, you might not think it makes a big difference, but it does. The difference between a shadow swing and a drop and hit is vast when it comes to a student's ability to maintain focus on what the new positions are and what the, on what the singular technique focus is. 
the difference between no ball and just ball, just sitting there is huge in a student's ability to execute. There's that same difference, that same jump between drop and hit executions and feeding executions. Even if the student is just on the service line and the coach is right up at the net, just hitting really soft, controlled, right to the strike zone, there's still a big difference in perception and a big difference in uh, comfort level between drop and hit and feed and hit. And so again, a coach's responsibility, or if you're self-leading your improvement, it's your responsibility to have that camera set up. So after a couple reps, you can go and look and see what the reality of your execution is. Because even if you did great on the shadow swings, and even if you did great on the drop and hit repetitions, the difference between those and receiving a feed and making your swing is big. Trust me. I know this sounds uh, really simplistic, but just trust me on this. I've spent lots and lots of hours guiding players through these progressions. Great athletes and average athletes and everything in between. Uh, Regardless, making these jumps in execution frequently leaves players going right back to their old habit. And that's what we want to be aware of and then go back a step so that the student can find that, that learning zone again, uh, and not the panic zone, and stay in a good place of execution. Hopefully that makes sense. So uh, we're about halfway through uh, this main set of progressions. Now we're at combination of uh, shadow swings and feed with a really, really easy feed. <clears throat> so when we finally do go to feeds, I'll have the student execute two or three shadow swings for each easy feed that I give him or her. And so he or she will be on the service line. As I described before, I'll be right up next to the net, really soft, easy feeds. And I'm asking them to swing at like 25% acceleration, very calm, very smooth and relaxed. And their only focus is on executing that new movement correctly. Uh, Next progression, feeding from the net and hitting from no man's land. Now with 50% speed. I'll go through these relatively quickly. Feeding from the net and hitting from the baseline, 50% to 75% speed. And so those are just you know quick overview of feed and execution uh, repetitions. Uh, those progressions should come after shadow swings. And now we're going to move into a little bit more advanced with a little bit different focus. You might notice that all of these progressions so far, probably between 12 and 15, there's been no target. In fact, Specifically, I've said several times, their only focus is on executing that new technique correctly. And I mean only focus. Uh, if you watch the, the full films of us working with students, you'll frequently hear us say, oh, and don't worry where the ball goes, or it doesn't matter where the ball goes, or don't worry about where it goes, or don't even watch where the ball goes. It doesn't matter. Just focus on your execution. Because if you start focusing on what the ball does, you'll start reverting back to your old habit. Because the best way you know how to control where the ball goes is to use your old habit. And so you'll naturally go back to your comfort zone as soon as you start to aim. So uh, we've gone through a lot of progressions, and now finally we're going to talk about target. And you could do this after getting really good results with a feed and hit, just focusing on technique. You can feed, hit, and now have a target and start to experiment with producing different results while maintaining close uh, focus or awareness on what your technique is. Do that with video, please. Then after that, you can feed and hit with movement. We haven't talked about movement yet. All All of the progressions up until this point the student is static. 
the shadow swings, the drop and hit repetitions, the feeding repetitions. We're purposefully trying to keep them comfortable so that they can keep maintain so they can maintain their focus exclusively on that technical change or improvement. So uh, once you've made your way through each of those different progressions, you can start to move yourself a little bit with a feed or with a ball machine to introduce movement into the mix while executing that new change correctly. And then you can combine feed with hit and movement and a target all at the same time. I'm getting pretty advanced now. And I know that. I mean, this is like <laughs> that, that uh, progression that I just said is what most players just jump right to, right? Can we all be honest for a second? Coaches, you too, but players especially, you'll watch the video, you'll read the blog article, you'll read the forum post, or you'll in the, uh, in the lobby, you'll talk to your friend, he'll tell you some you know, hot tip that he or she just used that worked really well. And oh, wow, that sounds great. This is the progression that most players go right to hitting a live ball with movement and trying to hit a target while also trying to incorporate a new, a new technique or a new position of some kind in their swing. That's crazy. It's way too advanced for somebody to jump right into it and do it correctly. There's virtually no chance of it actually happening, much less happening enough times to have it stick as a habit. It will not have it happen, I promise you. Next up, a live ball cooperative with a technique-only focus. So after we've gone through shadow swings, drop and hit, feed and hit, and uh, feed maybe with a little bit of movement or feed with a target, now the player, our student, will start to rally with a coach while focusing just on their technique focus, whatever that new thing is. And so now they have to manage their position with the ball, uh, moving to be in a comfortable spot, and also executing the new movement. If you're aiming for a target or you're trying to keep track of score, forget about it. You're not going to execute correctly something new. Uh, next is live ball cooperative with a target. So now there's a physical target out there. Uh, and it's important here that the student keeps tabs or coach keeps tabs on execution. So you know whether or not you're actually executing correctly while you're aiming for that target. Uh, three more. Live ball cooperative with a situational movement. And so an uh, example of that might be figure eight rallies from the baseline. So uh, baseline rally with one person aiming cross courts, the other person aiming down the line. And so there's uh, movement back and forth from corner to corner while focusing on execution. Or if it's a, a volley technique that you're trying to embed, then or uh, uh, cement as a new habit, then maybe you do approach and volley uh, cooperative rallies down the middle. There's, there's two examples of that progression. Next up, point play with limitations or stipulations. So uh, let's say it was, a, it was a forehand technique element that you're working on. Uh, so you could play cross-court points with a partner and only forehands counts and only the do side of the court counts. So you put a limitation on things to keep things really narrowly focused. So you're not concerned about uh, chasing balls down on the other side of the courts or, or uh, whatever you're working on with your backhand. It's only forehands in only one direction. So you take out those other areas that might pull your focus away from just narrowly focusing on that new technique improvement. And then lastly, open point play. It's feed and hit or serve, serve and return and just play points while working on your execution. So those, those are 21. I've got three other kind of experimental ones, but I, I just want to pause here briefly and just say that most players, 
and and these were just off the top of my head, just writing just writing out uh, the progressions that we've used just recently. I'm sure I could come up with another ten or fifteen uh, if I really thought about it. But if you're honest, then you know that you've probably gone from information input to maybe a couple of shadow swings, you know, just to kind of uh, go through the motions a little bit. And then probably write to feed with a target and then probably write to point play. And the shadow swings, you know, are taking like a couple of seconds. Maybe take a couple of shadow swings. Feeding, maybe you'll do a couple minutes. And then you'll just go ahead and jump right into point play or set play. You will not retain new movements and you will not develop skills when it comes to new habits by following that process. I'll tell you right now. I've been working hard to develop this over the last uh, six to eight months. Now that we've, we've really started having a regular private coaching students come into town, and as I, as I said before, we've had all different levels of athletes, all different level uh, abilities to kind of pick things up. Even with great athletes, you cannot just jump to full execution. You cannot jump to just... Uh, all out uh, hitting off a of feed and then right to point play and think that you are going to keep a new movement as a habit. It just will not work that way. So use these progressions. And you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save the last three. I've got some kind of unique, special, I, I put down in my notes here, experimental progressions that I, uh, I've kind of developed to be kind of a stopgap in between uh, different layers or types of progressions, uh, especially when a player gets stuck between kind of uh, two different stepping stones. And I'm going to save those for a different podcast episode because this is already the longest uh, episode that I've recorded in quite a while. For those of you that are still listening, I really appreciate your attention. You must really have a huge passion for improvement or and or the learning process and or coaching or developing your own game. And so if that's true, I want you to know I really appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you downloading this episode. Appreciate you listening all the way through. And if this has been helpful to you, if it's been eye-opening to you, especially the combination of this episode and the one before, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, just shoot me an email to ian, that's I-A-N, at essentialtennis.com. That's my inbox. I'd love to hear your thoughts, uh, hear if it's been helpful to you. And hopefully the, the next episode will be out soon. And I'm going to save these uh, experimental progressions for their own special uh, episode. Uh, but for right now, I hope this has given you a lot to think about and started to give you a clear picture of what the process needs to be that you should follow to start really making meaningful improvements to your game that stick instead of playing instructional whack-a-mole. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.